Welcome to everyone attending our first member event, which is exclusive to members of the Regulatory Genome Project and to those who they have invited. Uh, I am Bob Wardrop, and I'm the co-founder and I'm the director of the Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance. I'm also a management practice professor in finance on the faculty of the Cambridge Judge Business School at the University of Cambridge. Today, our topic is rules as code and reg tech, really reconciling two different traditions in machine-readable regulation. I mean, there's some people who have this idea that you can automatically generate the code or the machine-readable language from, from some constrained version of natural language. Uh, and I think you have to be very careful about the idea. The, the requirements for those two versions of, of the law or, or the regulations are different. So um, people have to read natural language um, and anyone who's written code will realize that writing something that's easy to read by a person is not the same as something that's easy to read for a machine. Uh, and we have to be careful about that. And, um, and we have tensions already at the moment, you know, in the way that law is currently drifted, written, sorry, in writing readable law and law that's very comprehensive uh, in what it says. When we think about uh, this topic, we have to be really careful not to forget the interpretation is an important part of the legal. Uh, process and the regulatory making process, uh, not to assume it away when you have to capture that. And I, the way that I think about this is, is we you've got to basically start with, well, if regulators wanted to be more prescriptive in natural language, they would be more prescriptive in natural language. We shouldn't be forcing them to be more prescriptive uh, in order to um, in order to, to to allow us to write code or to, to create sort of machine readable regulations. Uh, and I guess a related point about that is. But prescription does happen and needs to happen as part of the process of implementing regulations. To a certain extent, we already have this idea of kind of interpretation and, and gradual increases in specificity of prescription at various different layers within the law and regulation. Um, so we start off with you know, high level regulations and, and, and laws, and then perhaps we have guidance, which is a bit more specific, and maybe even things like FAQs, which are more specific. And then eventually in the firms, it gets, it gets into you know, code of regulation. And so I think that provides an opportunity for us to think about who should be doing the publishing, at what stage and what's the legal status of those artifacts. Um, uh, and that feeds into questions about kind of how flexible you want this thing to be as well, because one of the challenges of, uh, and one of the reasons why law has to be implementable or interpretable is because the uh, law has to capture and understand a huge number of different states, which it doesn't have sight over, uh, and tends to have to capture states which are also you know, in the future, the law changes, tends to be fixed, and then the world changes and the law has to get reinterpreted um, in base of the law. So, so as, as the world changes. So, so at the moment, uh, we have a company called Dwa, which specializes in actually building and publishing um, machine executable um, logic for pre and post trade um, transaction eligibility and reporting. We interpret reg written regulation and legislation. We transform it into logic, Boolean logic that we then um, execute against data that we are collected from various stores, trade data stores, um, order management systems, client um, data environments, Salesforce, whatever else. And we use that data to then 
present decisions back to the customers, to the traders, in fact, to say if they are eligible or ineligible to execute certain trades and certain transactions in certain scenarios. Consider, consider the life cycle of a, of a transaction, right? And all of the various facets of regulation that impacts that transaction from onboarding a customer through to executing it, through to collecting data to report it, through to retaining data for GDPR purposes for certain customers, through to retaining data on others. And so the, just the, the sheer volume of regulation that's impacting that single kind of steel thread through that bank is massive. And so in our in our world, what we do is we take and we inter we take legislation as it is written, regulation, we interpret it um, and try to pass consensus among our own customers, right? Some of the some of the major banks, you know, which is an interpretation to an extent. We then build logic of it, but that is never, even to that extent, that is not a fully blown solution to, to make a bank compliant with the law and the regulation. They have internal policies, et cetera, that we constantly need to be defining custom rule sets and logic for bank A versus bank B, depending on their level of risk appetite, right? Their level, uh, where they are based in the world geographically, who they are, their primary regulators and who aren't. That's something like a project we're talking about would not have all the answers at once for every type of regulation under the sun. So we would need to be either phased and or at a level of abstraction where interpretation is, is required. And, you know, there, there needs to be a meeting of the minds between top-down uh, legislators and regulators providing um, executable information and a bottom-up approach from standards organizations who are saying this is a platform by which individual companies and, and you know, for-profit suppliers can develop additional programs, applications off the back of this thing so that we can create ecosystems and solutions that work for specific use cases. A big part of what we do is, is that social exercise of agreeing a consensus among our customer base. But Elliot, I think what you guys are doing is you're, you're enabling convergence. There's some yeah. sense of protection in convergence. And if right. I elect to be an outlier because I can benchmark within my peer group, I can, mm -hmm. I can do it in an informed way. But if Correct. I want to play safe, I play the convergence game, right? Because yeah. if they're going to come after us, they're going to come after all of us. They're not going to come exactly. after one of us unless we want to be the outlier. That's, that's what's really, to me, frankly, that's a little bit of what's going on. Yeah. I mean, it's one of our biggest USPs, right? <laughs> be in the herd, right? That is, and, and if, totally. if you're talking about, like I, like I mentioned before, if you're talking about um, risk mitigation and your risk appetite, that's where, that's where banks are, you know, frankly. Safety in numbers. Yeah, if you put it in that way. And, and, and you know, I think that, that is one of the biggest reasons a firm like mine exists and lots of firms like that exist. There is, there is, a, there is this gap between what the regulation and legislation says and how firms are implementing it with all of their legacy systems and legacy data platforms, right? And that gap is at the moment, even from someone coming from that industry, it's, 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 it's massive.
1997, I visited Central Bank of Brazil, which at that time, if I remember correctly, collected from all banks on a weekly basis, the entire trading and banking book, all the transactions, everything. That was back then like four gigabytes of data every week, which required massive Google-like you know, server room and so on. It was extremely impressive. The problem that banks, uh, Central Bank faced at that time was that they needed more programmers supervising algorithms and fixing algorithms that supervise this entire massive set of data than actually supervisor try supervisors trying to understand what the risks are inherent because there were so many you know false positive flags there were so many possible things that they needed to uh, uh, to take out of the equation that it rendered the entire supervisory process extremely inefficient and this the second example is actually from the ecb we are running a project around uh, so-called ad hoc reporting, things like COVID reporting uh, uh, from the banks, uh, requests from the from the central bank to the banks to, to, to report on specific phenomena in the market, which, which has not been previously built into more regulatory frameworks. And over there, uh, the central bank actually deliberately intends to leave the room and space for interpretation. There is no no need, neither a demand on the side of the regulator to specify it more. Actually, there are there are multiple examples there in the European Union, we translate into 27 uh, different languages. And if you look at the regulatory arbitrage that is possible based on such translation, you can actually see that interpretation of certain, let's say, meaning of assets or, or classification can be can be extremely valuable for companies. 15 years ago, I was working for the IFRS Foundation and we debated for close to seven months whether to call a particular element to be reported by companies under international financial reporting standards, whether to call it profit loss from minority controlling interest or a non-controlling interest. But on the other hand, actually quite often regulators do deliberately build this, uh, this, this nuanced uh, interpretation space or room into the, the, the legislation. So here we come to the field of interpretation that Professor Pompeo touched, whether the algorithms are appropriate and can interpret it in a way how it, how it should be and classify it. Data plus algorithms equals programs. So we need to, to make sure that the data structuring plus rules around these data structures are actually actionable like programs then we are we are a step closer we will not substitute yet the the, the policies we will not be able to code them fully but we are a bit of a step closer there are examples of that already in the in among the regulators i think that this is to me a, a pragmatic look at this mrer and, and 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 making it happen we are coming here to the very fundamental question whether it is possible to understand what is happening within, uh, for instance, markets within within financial institution, institutions with such degree of complexity. Um, uh, having worked for the central banks for the past 15 years, I think there is a great disadvantage at which the central banks are compared to the private sector. Um, you know, whereas the, 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 the understanding of this complexity on the side of the private sector probably is still lacking at some point of time. Uh, the understanding on the central bank side of what is happening on the private sector side is due to data being basically late is, uh, is, is enormous. So regulators obtaining data six, 12 months after you know, the events happening in the markets are not really particularly uh, uh, useful for any decision making, not to mention policy making, because it's all very, very outdated.
is, 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 is significant and, and all everything there, whether the regulators, in my opinion, should retain, you know, more power to actually add on, uh, on an ad hoc basis in a social way, so to say, act there and not be forced or, or, or burdened by the need to put things as codes. Um, um, so to say upfront, but just sort of like in a human way, came forward, come forward and say, look, this is pot a, a potential risk area and we should be able to, to, to understand it better and supervise it. So you need to work with us, you know, more diligently and, and, and urgently and, and, and promptly provide us with, with that information. I guess the, 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 the interesting thing from a regulatory perspective isn't just about the sort of imbalance in terms of information that we have, but it's also about the way that regulators work and their processes. In, uh, and, you know, a lot of people kind of say, well, we should move to real-time data and real-time data is what it's all about. Um, but actually, if you're going to move to real-time data and real-time monitoring, you need your whole regulatory and supervisory process to be set up to reflect that and to change in, in those ways. And, and I think this is a really important topic in this, you know, question in this topic. And it's, you know, this is about machine readable, machine executed regulations as well. What does that mean for us in terms of how we make policy, in terms of how we supervise? And are those directions that we want to move in, quite frankly? Or actually, you know, are there other restrictions, other constraints, which means we, we as regulators or, or central banks don't want to move in those directions? I, I want to thank the panelists again. I think we, we were kind of really uh, getting on a roll here very nicely. I want to thank all the participants for joining today. It was our first session. Uh, we'll be compiling some of this material, hopefully, in a, in a format that can be used and digested by others in your organization. Uh, and for that, I wish everyone a good day. Thanks very much for spending the time with us.